But if you have a diversification, like I can actually take more risks with Gumroad because I have a fund, because I have another income stream, right? Or I have a book now. Like I can, I, I kind of actually can make riskier and riskier bets with any of these projects because I know that I have, you know, at least one or maybe even multiple things that are kind of backing me. Hey friend, it's David Nabinski here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Sahil Lavinia. Sahil is the founder of Gumroad, the founder of an investment fund, a painter, a course creator, and a recent author of a book called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. In this episode, you will learn the importance of creating content before starting businesses, how remote work has opened up opportunities for knowledge workers, um, ideas from Sahil's book on community, getting started, and growing from there, um, hiring quarter-time executives at Gumroad so that working is not the main thing and they can work on other things if interested um, to build out their portfolio career, how to effectively put yourself out there for jobs or for funding. Um, As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Sahil. Uh, Sahil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, so before we kind of get started, Sahil, um, I'm curious, like, what you did over the weekend, any new prototypes, any new... You know, did you build anything over the weekend? Um, I just, you know, like when we're preparing for interviews, you know, you want to make sure you know what's kind of happened and uh, in, in, in your journey a little bit. I think, you know, building things on the weekend has been uh, significant for you. So since it's Monday morning, I thought I, yeah. I, I might want to ask that question. Yeah, not this weekend. Unfortunately, I felt a little sick. Um, I was in New York last week for uh, NFT NYC, really not really for the conference, but just as an excuse to meet all the other people who were using it as an excuse, um, kind of a shelling point for cool people um, post kind of COVID to finally hang out and meet everybody in person. So no, nothing this weekend, uh, but I ha- I was on the on the plane uh, sort of thinking through uh, my first kind of NFT project um, and what that might look like. Because uh, I think, uh, I think as, we're, as you just mentioned before we started recording, like kind of optimized for being lucky, I think is like a pretty good kind of insight. And I think they're like kind of just trying things out kind of bottoms up instead of saying, oh, this is where the future is. Like, I don't think anyone can really predict that, especially in, in a space that's so new and weird. It almost feels kind of like the singularity or something like that, where it's just like very, no one, you know, it's a very weird, strange feature, but there seems to be some emergent properties that are emerging. But I think the right way to take advantage of it is just to like try stuff, you know, bottoms up instead of top down. And so, yeah, I started thinking through, and I, I like doing art and like, uh, uh, writing science fiction and fantasy. That was kind of my trajectory post Gumroad when I published reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company. And then that essay actually kind of like galvanized Gumroad in, in this weird way. And then COVID and all these sorts of things happened. Um, but I have these skills that I developed over a couple of years in that kind of slowdown period. And so, yeah, I'm like, oh, maybe this is kind of like an interesting way to kind of harness harness kind of some of these random skills that I ended up developing. And I had no idea why, like I had no idea why I was getting good at painting or writing science fiction and fantasy, but I did, I put a lot of work into those, those skills. Um, And so maybe this is kind of some, you know, or not, we'll see, we'll see. 
but uh, I'm excited about it. But yeah, I, I basically drew kind of like what I think like the, the, the way I'm thinking about it is I have this book, The Minimalist Entrepreneur, um, and I want to build a kind of a, a room in the metaverse, basically, that people can enter, which is kind of the minimalist entrepreneur universe, and it will have its own origin story uh, and kind of religion, basically. So I, I kind of wrote out like the first uh, chapter kind of of Genesis, effectively. Um, and I'll kind of build on it iteratively um, in the vein of a lot of kind of the epic fantasy novels that people people like today. I kind of try to make it feel more tangible and, and, and real and, and, and maybe even start to like use it for things. Like if I host office hours instead of using Zoom, maybe I use this sort of 3D world. Um, no idea if that's ever, you know, if that's the future or not. But I, I kind of think I'll, I'll learn a lot about it. You know, I'll learn a lot about this, the things that I do you know, need to know anyway, even though the project itself may not end up working, you know? Hmm. So bottoms up approach. And then that last part there was fascinating of like, you don't know what it'll turn into, so to speak, but you'll learn along the way. Yeah. I mean, a, a core kind of message of the, of the book. And it, it was actually kind of interesting uh, is start, start, then learn. So I had a, a tweet um, that resonated um, as I was actually, I had finished basically writing the book. At least it was getting pretty close. And I tweeted like, you don't, you don't learn, then start, you start, then learn. And that resonated with folks. And so I kind of made it part of the course that I was teaching the minimalist entrepreneur course. And that was like one of the core ideas that really resonated with people. So I like I was like, I went back to Penguin and I was like, I know the book is like almost finalized at this point. We're only allowed to make like typo sort of fixes basically. But I think it's really important that we like embed this specific phrase into it. And now it's kind of become like a pretty central theme of, of the book, uh, which is start then learn, which is, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think they have to like learn all this stuff before they get started. But the truth is like everything I think is learned sort of after starting right? Like how often do you, you don't learn to drive by like reading a book on driving, right? That would be nice. But the first time you drive, it's like the scariest thing in the world, right? Like you're like, how is this legal? And then like, you know, two weeks into it, you're like, you're listening to music and you're, you know, like you just, you're, you kind of internalize driving, like it becomes a muscle kind of memory thing. And you don't even have to, you really don't even think about it anymore. Um, and I think it's kind of the same with business. It's the same with a lot of these projects. Um, I often use Tesla I think Elon is like sort of like the archetypal, like the, the sort of paragon of minimalist entrepreneurship. Obviously, maybe most people wouldn't associate those two people, those two ideas almost together. But I but I think they're quite related, especially his journey with Zip2 and then X. And then, like he did a bunch of things pre, you know, SpaceX and Tesla that kind of led up to that in the, in this vein. Um, but I think Tesla is a great example of this where they, you know, in the beginning, they were like, OK, how do we we don't know what it takes to build an electric car company, but let's build like, you know, like an electric basically like a go-kart, right? A go-kart is an electric vehicle, right? So like, let's scale up a go-kart. And, and that's kind of what they did with the first, you know, the Tesla Roadster, I think, um, back in the day. And, you know, when the company was public, $2 billion valuation company, like they built, like, I think it ended up being like 400 or 500 cars, uh, which, you know, have basically no impact on the world, but like, they probably learned so much and they, they built probably like the early prototype at the factory, you know, to, to kind of, you know, they wouldn't be able to get here without that. Right. Um, and so I often think about that, like the product you're really building is not the product you're building. It's actually the, the factory, which is your brain, right? That's actually the, the, the product that you really, you're really kind of improving upon every day. And so, yeah, I often think about that. Like I'm, my goal with this NFT project is not to make the NFT project successful. My goal is to improve 
the mental models and the kind of the neural network in my head so that like the next project, the next thing that comes around, I'm more primed to be able to tackle, you know, I have more data. I have, I'm, I have more confidence. I have more connections in the industry, right? All of these things that I know are valuable, right? Um, happen by starting and learning. And I think a lot of people, they think, oh, I need the connections. I need this. I need that. Uh, and so I'm not going to start until I have those things. And it's kind of this like catch 22 that they end up in where they never start because they're like, oh, I don't have like the right ingredients, right. Uh, to make this thing. But it's like, well, no one does. <laughs> turns out. No one has the right ingredients. Um, there's a kind of a leap of faith that you have to make um, that you'll kind of build the airplane on the way down. And, uh, and most of the time it doesn't work, but that's fine because you know, you're not your business, right? The goal is not for your business to succeed. The goal is for you as an entrepreneur to eventually succeed, find financial independence and, 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 you know, kind of gain freedom and, and trade money for time and, and, and then time for money or whatever, um, or vice versa. And so it's, but yeah, that's kind of a core, a core thing that I kind of just like have to, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of like almost like annoy people with, because like people ask me all the time, oh, do I need this? Do I need that? You know, what should I do here? And I'm like, it literally doesn't matter. Like, just pick one thing. Like the fact that you're asking me is kind of a red flag almost because it doesn't matter. Like, it's like, which one of these two ideas should I build? It's like, well, in two weekends from now, you'll have built both. So like, what, why does it matter which one you built first, you know? it matters on a mark, like marginal, you know, on a marginal basis. Right. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, people say, Oh, like which stock should I invest in like Google or Facebook or whatever. It's like, well, do pick one and then pick the other. And it doesn't really matter like week by week, if you picked one and you know, like you're, you're, you're optimizing on the margins or like when you go to the gym and it's like, when should I work out or when, you know, Oh, you should work out fasted or like when you should take protein, like right before, right after, you know, oh, it kicks it, you know, science says it takes 24 hours, like blah, blah, blah. Like, truthfully, it doesn't matter. Like what matters is like, did you go to the gym? Did you like use your body? What machine should I do? Should I do like lift heavyweight? Should I do cardio? Like, I guarantee you, like, it doesn't matter that much, right? Like it matters once you've done it for like a year uh, or two, and you can start to like optimize your recovery and like these sorts of things. But my guess is like, as long as you show up and, and like get tired and sweat, and like, feel like you're pushing yourself more than you did the last time, or, you know, like you're getting better in all the important ways. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a rant, but that's, that's kind of my view on, on starting and learning. Yeah, no, I love it. And, and also in the book, you talk about kind of this idea is like similar to like in the book where you're like create first and then kind of start the business afterwards, so to speak, or like the, the creation begets creation and you know, starting a business is, is kind of a, can be a byproduct of creating, sharing content, learning, connecting in communities, et cetera. And then the business comes like, I think that I've kind of probably felt, felt before of like, Oh, if only I had a great business idea, like where, where, where is it? Like, I'm looking for it. Like maybe one day it'll yeah. come to me. And I think in the book, you're really just like, just start creating. Um, and there's, you know, a bunch of different other lessons, but and yeah. then, and then, you know, engage in the local communities or the communities that you want to be a part of, keep learning, getting nuanced context, et cetera. And then from, from then, you know, side hustles, et cetera, will emerge. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, re I really believe that like, you know, continuing first off is easier than starting, right? Like running the first time around is like pretty stressful. I think because of kind of a fear of failure or uncertainty or, or what have you worthiness, you know, like you just feel like you're going to fail in some capacity, 
but if you run a mile, then the next time you do it, like, even if it's two miles, like you're not going to feel nearly as, it's not going to be nearly as hard. Like you've kind of done the hard thing, you know, and, and you realize like a lot of the questions that were preventing you were kind of like basic questions. Like, where do I run? Like, where, you know, where am I going to go? It's just like being able to like, not even picture the future is what was scaring you. And once you know, oh, I'm going to do this route or whatever, like, then it's a lot less scary the, 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 the second time, the second time around. And then I think the other thing is, yeah, like it's, it's kind of waiting for inspiration to strike. Like I hate brainstorming sessions. Like I never, I don't think they ever work. Like I've never gone to a bunch of people in a room and been like, let's come up with some awesome business ideas or let's come up with some awesome essay ideas or let's come up with some awesome tweets or whatever. Like it doesn't work. Maybe it does for certain folks, but generally for me, the, what works is just kind of priming myself constantly, putting myself in that context, constantly producing some outside of my brain content product, some manifestation of, you know, my thoughts and ideas so that I can kind of look at them and kind of like interface with them, you know, in a, in a more kind of objective way. And other people can too. like, they can't give me feedback on the stuff in my brain, but they can give me feedback on essays or products or designs or notion docs or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and it turns out like when you start to do that and when you start contributing to these communities that you're a part of and you start asking good questions and you start creating content, my guess is it becomes much more evident over time. Like, oh, there's this problem that, you know, five people in the last month have asked me like, you know, about this certain thing, right? Like even publishing this book, like there's so, it's like, wow, there's so many questions that people have, um, but I would not have known without having published the book, you know? Um, and like, there's, I'm gonna compile over time, like a list of minimalist business ideas that have kind of come from and just sh share it with everybody and say, Hey, here are all the business ideas that like I've started to encounter that people have basically told me are problems that they have. And this often happens like when you're kind of a pillar of a community where people kind of consider you like, Oh, like the, one of the people to talk to about a certain topic, they will literally tell you what problems they have. Right. Like they'll say, Hey, this thing takes too long or this thing is too expensive or this thing is too frustrating or I don't get it. Or this thing's too far away. I don't have it in my country. Right. Like, Stripe Atlas, for example, like people tell me all the time, like, hey, I wish Stripe Atlas existed in, you know, this, this jurisdiction or this territory. And it's like, well, you could probably partner with some lawyer friend of yours or find, you know, find some community of, of, of people and find an incubator accelerator. Like there's probably people, you know, that are also kind of have this issue and like build it with them or build it, you know, talk to them about it. And maybe they have something or maybe, you know, like, but you won't know that unless you start putting yourself kind of out there in that way. But there's just, this is the other thing that I think a lot of people think because they're not having ideas or like business ideas that they think that they're, it's all done, right? It's like, it's like there's, too, there's, 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 a, there's too much competition. There's too many Shopify stores. There's too many government creators. There's too many Instagram accounts. There's too many Twitter people with a couple hundred thousand followers, whatever. Like there's no space for me. But I, I see the opposite where I'm like every day, I'm like, oh, wow, this person just surpassed me on Twitter followers like starting a year ago, right? Because like they found a niche they figured out their shtick and they're amazing at it. And like, boom, they like, you know, like there's always room uh, to kind of create like your own. It's kind of mind boggling, to be honest, because you, I, you know, I, I think it's a fair point. You, you know, for example, like I like to oil paint and I went to an oil painting workshop and there was like 20 or 30 oil painters and we were all painting the same scene. It was kind of like, you know, we all paint and then the teacher kind of comes around and kind of gives us feedback and, and kind of, you know, helps us with our painting. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm going to know, you know, I was pretty new to the to kind of painting generally. And this is like planar painting. So we're painting on site, on location. And there's like this barn and some mountains and clouds and sky or whatever, right? 
And uh, I was like, cool, I'm going to know how bad I am, right? Like, I'm going to be able to know, okay, this is where, you know, the middle, you know, kind of the median 50 percentile is this is, you know, how long it's going to take me to get really good. This is what really good looks like, right? Like, I can start to kind of think through like, okay, this is like my journey as a painter is going to look something like I'm going to be able to paint that, then I'm going to be able to paint that, and I'm going to be able to paint that, right? And being able to see these paintings is going to help me help me get there faster. And then we paint for like an hour or so or whatever. And then like everyone walks around and looks at everybody's paintings and like every painting is totally different. Like it's mind boggling to me, honestly. Like I was, I thought I was painting the barn and the clouds and the mountain and, you know, and so was everybody else. But like the perspective was different. Like the subject matter was different. The focal point was different. How fat, you know, how zoomed in or not you were, the colors, like some people trended towards like this more abstract color scheme. Some people are trying to be really naturalistic. Uh, some people are trying to be very, very photorealistic. Some people are trying to be impressionist. Some people are trying to like, you know, kind of do watercolors, oils, acrylics. Some people are like doing a, you know, a layover in, in like a, in, in like a red color and then doing the thing on top and like just so many different variations. And you, you see this whenever you go to a museum, like there's like a million ways to paint the same subject matter. But, but like, I think as someone who hasn't done it before, you're like, there's a, there's like a, a perfect, there's like a, there's a right answer right? There's like a, a right answer to this. Uh, this is how you paint and everyone's trying to head to that same destination, but it's not true actually. Like the right answer in theory is just a photograph, right? Like but when you, when you paint, it's actually about what you get wrong is what makes a painting interesting, right? What's the difference between what you're painting and the, and the subject matter is all the things that are wrong. Um, but that's actually what's interesting, right? Like why is science fiction fantasy interesting? It's all the stuff that's wrong. That's not true, right? If it's true, it's boring. It's, you can just go out and see it in real life. And I think that's what makes it so difficult is because you're literally trying to make stuff up that feels true, but is wrong. And you only know that by, I think, going through it, right? Because if you just say, oh, there's like a, I don't know, like you, you try to be wrong on purpose, it doesn't really work. You have to try to be right and be wrong. And that is interesting. And so, yeah, that, that was like such a key moment for me because it was so visual on like, wow, like everyone with this, you know, an insane level of constraints also, you know, comes up with like, you know, 29 painters, 29 different solutions to the same problem which i thought was just like really revelatory for me like if someone else built stripe it would be totally different today it would look totally different the design system would be totally different it wouldn't be the like the stripe famous stripe look it would be you know flat or it would be something else you know or it'd be different colors or whatever like it would be very very different or the approach would be different like totally different uh approach um but you wouldn't know because we don't live in that universe you know so you just kind of think there's one way to do it it's kind of more deterministic but it's actually not, it's super random, you know, like there could be another, like Amazon could have failed, Tesla could have failed and there could be new companies. Like it could be that like Ford becomes like the premier, you know, like you just don't know. And, and I think it's important that people realize that, like it's not as deterministic as people think, like there are a million parallel universes and these, these things are not as, as kind of, you know, we're not reading a book, right? That's already been written. We are in, we are all writing the book together and it's incredibly sort of, stochastic it's incredibly uncertain um and i like that because it means you can participate right it means you can actually inflect and contribute in a way that maybe if you believed oh it's deterministic you know like that you might not feel you have that level of agency yeah and and um what i'm hearing is also like this this unconventional or like you can create your own path and uh you don't need to rely on historical norms or what you expect to be and i think you know uh, your company Gumroad has been, um, you know, a pioneer or, you know, has kind of created its own path. And 
you know, and you've talked about some of these hobbies and things and projects and things that you're working on, uh, which I think is, you know, another example of even if you're a business owner uh, or an entrepreneur, you can still work on all these, an NFT project, you paint, you know, have a fund, all these different things. And I think like you're such a, a, a pioneer and advocate for this, that, you know, that people may be scared to explore these paths, but, you know, you're obviously a living example of, you know, uh, having a portfolio career and, and advocating it for as well. So at Gumroad, uh, your company, uh, there's a lot of, which I think you call them quarter time executives, uh, mm-hmm. or quarter time, quarter time, uh, professionals. Can you maybe talk to us about, you know, what that looks like, how, th- how those people got those roles and why you think it matters? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, Daniel Vasallo, for example, is our quarter time head of product. Uh, we have a quarter time head of marketing quarter time head of support, uh, or maybe they're halftime, but Daniel came up with the idea. Actually, he like pitched me on it. He sent me an email, but he said, Hey, I have this idea which is, I think, you know, I use Gumroad. I've made a bunch of money on it. It's great. It could be better. I kind of know what I, you know, I would, I know what I would want, you know, from the product as a, as a, as a, as a customer of the product, you know, I also don't want a job. <laughs> like I don't want to work 40 hours a week. You know, he's also kind of a great advocate of this, of this lifestyle. Uh, so we're super kind of aligned on it. And he said, what about this? Like I'll put in 10 hours a week, you know, quarter time. I think he even said, you know, quarter time there. And, you know, I want, I think, you know, I deserve to get paid $10,000 a month for that, you know, $120,000 a year, which for most people, like that's, it's kind of interesting because depending on who you talk to, they think like, that's an amazing deal, like 120 grand a year, 10 hours a week. Like that's a full-time living, working 10 hours a week. Like that sounds awesome to many people. I would say most people would would think that's crazy. Um, You know, especially outside of of kind of like startup industry or, you know, United States, et cetera. And these are, you know, positions of, available to anybody, right? They're not available to like a specific group of people necessarily, at least in terms of credentials or location or something like that. Um, but then other people will say, you know, in those, you know, in startups, they'd be like only 120, like Daniel, he was making like half a million dollars a year at Amazon, right? And he was probably on track to make like a million dollars a year, you know, like many people do once they've been in the industry, you know, startup industry for like 10, 15, 20 years, you, you know, you can get paid like pretty obnoxiously well. And, you know, they're like $120,000 a year is nothing. Right. Uh, and so that's always been kind of interesting to me. But yeah, he, he basically kind of pitched me on this idea. And, you know, my, my thinking was, you know, I, th- I think a lot of time sort of spent is like overrated. And like if you if you're in, a, you know, obviously there are certain bottlenecks to Gumroad, right, which might be like engineering, right, uh, R&D, uh, customer support, right. These are kind of things where that you kind of have to do a lot of it because that is really what pushes the company forward. But like as a CEO or as head of product, like it's not like we're reinventing the roadmap like 40 hours a week, right? Like I'm, I'm, you know what, I, I sometimes I do a 40 hour week if I'm like crowdfunding, you know, the $5 million raise, like, yeah, that's a big project. I have to talk to a lot of people. I have to make that happen. I have to do a bunch of press stuff. Like, yeah, that's probably a 60 hour week. Who knows, right? But I don't have those weeks every week. I have like one of those every year, right? Or every six months or, or something like that. And, I, and, and truthfully, I think this is how actually a lot of CEOs work. They just don't talk about it like this because it feels wrong, you know? But I know plenty of CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies that are like don't work 40 hours a week even, especially with COVID. I think COVID created this opportunity for many people because you didn't have to pretend anymore, right? Like when you're going to an office, you kind of have to pretend that you're working like when you're at the office, you can't just like fuck around the whole day, right? And so I think COVID was really kind of like, uh, maybe even people didn't even realize that of themselves. They're like, wait a second, I don't actually have to do 90% of the stuff that I do. Like 
the high leverage stuff is what gets what really pushes the ball forward. And maybe on an absolute basis, government isn't growing as fast as if we were all working like, you know, like a certain type of way. But it doesn't matter. Like we're growing. The product's getting better. You know, I want to do this for a long period of time. I don't want to run out of energy and sell the business or, or what have you. I'm not optimizing for that. And so what am I optimizing for? Like, I want to work on this product. I want to make it really great. I want to work with awesome people. Um, but I also don't want it to dominate my lifestyle and my life. Um, and yeah, so it just felt like it, it kind of felt like it made a lot of sense for these certain roles, not all of them, um, but many of them. And yeah, I always find that like the 40 hour, it's, it's, it's this interesting thing, right? Because people say, oh, it's full, like full time. Like, for example, I have a fund, you know, it's also kind of a, a side hustle. It's, it's quite, it's like 10 plus million dollars a year, which for a fund is like quite large. It's like maybe in the top 30 or 40 angel funds on, you know, planet earth in terms of scale and size and maybe top five or 10 in terms of someone who's not full-time on it, you know? And maybe the only one that like has a CEO, like that's, you know, running a whole company. And, 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 you know, none of my LPs care. I have 200 LPs. They're phenomenal LPs because they care about, is this person getting, you know, access into interesting companies? That's not really a function of time. That's actually a function of like how interesting Gumroad or my Twitter account may be or, or something else like that. Or the fact that I lived in the Bay area for a bunch of years and I was early on Pinterest and I built a bunch of stuff. So all the people who want stuff to build on their platforms and want to talk to me and because I have an audience and, and these sorts of things, right? Um, that has no function on time necessarily. Like if there was a math equation, you know, time spent wouldn't really show up on as a, as a kind of a dependent variable. And then, you know, they want to make sure that I can get, you know, I pick the right companies, right? Which also is not necessarily time spent. It's like actually like me doing all this other stuff is kind of trains my mental model of what's going to work because I try all these tools and most of them don't work. So I have like, I just, it was one of the first, you know, 50 probably users of Stripe. I was so early that they can't even tell me what number of user I was because it was like a different schema, um, you know, pre-launch and everything. But but then when I talk to, uh, and these are like great, you know, like people from Andreessen or Benchmark or Naval are like really great LPs, uh, but all individuals, right? Uh, when I talk to institutions, like if I talk to like endowments, they, they're like, no way. Like we would never invest, right? Like you have to be full-time, you have to like, fit into this very specific band of what we think an early stage venture fund should look like. Like, you know, you should only invest in this many companies. You should care for this, you know, ownership percentage in the company. Um, you know, you need a follow on blah, blah, blah strategy, all this stuff that I honestly think is ridiculously stupid. Like in this market where things are moving so fast, like I, I think it's like, you're kind of reverse engineering what the right kind of fund is, which it doesn't make sense to me. Like you should think first principles on this stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I, I often find that like that these kind of rules exist and uh, like some they ask me like, you know, would you ever consider being full time? Because we need you to be full time, you know, for us to make this multi-million dollar investment in your fund, which would like two X or three X the over time. You know, if I got a few of these, like the size of the fund, like it would be all of a sudden I'd be competing with like some of these seed funds, right. With multiple partners and all these sorts of things. Uh, and so it's tempting. Right. Um, and my question to them is always like define full time define it. If you want me to be full-time, like, tell me what full-time means. Uh, and they can't, you know, and what, you know, because they don't want to even admit the fact that they're basically outsourcing their definition of what a good VC is to basically the 1930s, right? Because in the 1930s, they defined full-time, they introduced benefits for full-time employees. They said it was 40 hours a week, eight hours a day for five days. It was, that's, that's when it came about. And so they're basically outsourcing their, their kind of definition and so they literally won't even tell me that. They won't even say what full-time means. They're like, oh, you know, like 
it means like you're no longer working on Gumroad and like this is your your full-time focus. And and I'm like, look, like I know a lot of the VCs you've invested in, by the way, they're great. They say that you think they're full-time, like according to your definition, they're not full-time. Like I, you know, like they're hanging out, they're going to party because it doesn't matter. It's not a critique. It's like, it doesn't matter. But the optics matter. Like, it's like, we're all pretending. We're all like lying basically, right? Um, and I think that's why people resonate with me and my journey and my the writing that I do is because I'm like, I honestly don't think I'm doing anything that different sometimes. Like I'm just one of the few that's like willing to talk about it in a way that many people are not. Even when I launched my rolling fund, I got so many DMs from like top, you know, like CEOs, like everyone will know being like, how did you do this? Like, how did you, and it was interesting because every person was like angel investing on the side, had like a fund on the side, like, but like, no, I was the first one, maybe not the first, but I was like, I created this kind of wave, I think in, 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 you know, last year with the rolling fund because, and I think partly because I was just so willing to talk about it um, in a way that very, very few people were like, it wasn't that novel that like, you know, Naval had a fund, you know, back when he was CEO of Angel is like 10 years ago, investing government with it. Right. Like, and obviously scout funds and Jason Calacanis invest in Uber, like all these stories, right. Like um, as active CEO of another company, but I was the one who was like, this is like, I'm, I'm leading into it 100%. I'm showing everyone how I did it. Um, and now I think it's, it's much more normal, right? Like it's much more socially acceptable uh, for a founder to say that they, you know, they have their post-product market fit, they're profitable, they're series D or whatever. And like, now they have a fund like Jack from Lattice or Imad from Mercury, or like these are, it's much more normal to, for these folks to run these side funds. Um, and I'm sure they're killing it because they get amazing deal flow because every founder wants other founders and CEOs on their cap table. So their returns are amazing, I'm sure. But basically all their LPs are individuals, right? They're all other kind of people like them uh, because these institutions, anytime I talk to them, they're like, no, like there's no way. And I'm like, you know, you're going to miss out on like some amazing returns, but you know, 10 years in, you're going to realize that maybe you'll recalibrate, but you know, at that point, we're not going to need you. Right. We're going to be independently wealthy. We're going to be backing each other's funds. And, and this is what, what generally happens, you know, over and over again, it happened with Andreessen. It's quite like people say, oh, we'll wait, you know, and then when it's obvious, then, you know, you kind of get left behind. And so then um, it also sounds like uh, there may be a wave or you, you think there may be a wave of more and more people working like Daniel, as an example, or creating on the side or having a side hustle on the side because of the office is taken away. So people's ability to uh, you know create their portfolio careers in real time, so to speak, or work on multiple things, maybe even multiple jobs, so to speak, might be possible more and more. Can you maybe talk to us about that, Sahil? Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the I think the the first step is getting rid of the office, right? Because that is the you know you only have one body, right? And so inherently, if you're required to be in a physical location, you can only do one of those at a time. And so there was kind of a monopoly on your body, and so therefore, like, yeah, you could only really work at one company at a time, right? And so when you get rid of the office, which is what COVID kind of accelerated dramatically, basically flipped it, right? At least for tech kind of software companies where remote work is really a possibility, like basically went from 20% of people were looking for remote work to 80% of people. Like it just totally flipped. I mean, which is insane. If you like tens of millions of jobs or millions, of jobs, like just crazy. Like you can never get that with like a startup with an interesting idea or Uber. Like none of these startups have had the impact of this, right? So we don't really know like what's going to happen. Like if you think the impact of Uber or Airbnb was large, like imagine like the impact of a macro shift like this, right? It's like 
un and incredibly unpredictable. Like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, um, but it's going to be very crazy, I think. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I think the first step is getting rid of the office. Then all of a sudden, everyone's working from home. Then, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's like, OK, well, let's value. Let's measure how much input, you know, how much value you're actually creating, because that's all we can measure, because we don't know how much you're working necessarily. Right. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, well, if I can get my work done in like five hours, 10 hours, 20 hours a week, then like you can just work that. You can maybe get another job you know, what are you optimizing for? Right. Like, I think a lot of op people are optimizing for cash, right? Like they're early in their careers or they want to invest or they want to build up a nest egg, which is totally fine. Like they might want to work two jobs or three jobs, right? Like they may do that. Um, I think of it a little bit like the gig economy is just being applied to higher and higher kind of wage jobs. Like all of a sudden, like software engineering is now a gig economy job, right. In a sense, or product design or something like that. Um, and so I think that that kind of like what you saw play out with Airbnb and Uber and, and some of these other services like Thumbtack, et cetera, will probably start happening with software engineering and some of these jobs that maybe people would have assumed like these white collar jobs, right? Basically, is which I think is very interesting. Um, and I think a great change. Um, I also think that like it means more negotiation leverage, right? Because ultimately, if you can only work at one place at one time, it's kind of hard to negotiate, right? Because like it's kind of a pain in that you have to get like another job. You have to like go, you know, you lose one income, you lose hundred percent of your income. Right. But if you have a diversification, like I can actually take more risks with Gumroad because I have a fund because I have another income stream. Right. Or I have a book now, like I can, I, I kind of actually can make riskier and riskier bets with any of these projects because I know that I have, you know, at least one or maybe even multiple things that are kind of backing me. Right. I have my kind of my own social safety net in a way. Right. And so I think it's actually stronger. Um, and so I think more people will kind of develop that. I think that will mean that, I mean, you're already seeing this kind of like, it, like a lot of even like fast food jobs, like people just don't want them anymore, right? Like these, like now, if you want to work at Wendy's, it's like 17 bucks an hour with benefits. I mean, like that, say that two years ago, people would have been like, no, it was like seven bucks an hour, eight bucks an hour. Like that's crazy. Um, you know, maybe in and out was paying like 15 bucks or something like in California. But like, so I think that is all getting recalibrated. Obviously there's kind of like inflation coming from the bottom too. Um, but I think generally it's good because it means that like workers, people, the actual like labor force is, is ha has like a lot more leverage, you know, in, in terms of, of the jobs that they may want to do. And it means that people, you know, like me, like if I'm hiring people, I have to be much more competitive. I have to say, you know, you don't have to move to where I live, right? You don't have to work on my schedule. You don't have to show up in this physical place. Um, and I could totally see a world in which someone says like someone who's incredibly you know, amazing. And you're kind of seeing this in, in crypto where if you're like an amazing smart contract engineer, like you can go do some work over here, get a bunch of tokens, go over here, get a bunch of tokens, go over there, get a bunch of tokens, like build a portfolio in like a year of like, you know, all these assets and, and they're liquid. So you can sell them if you need to or whatever uh, as they best. And, uh, and then, you know, boom, like you never have, you never had a job, you know, you have like hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars worth of crypto which is growing at a much faster rate, you know, than US dollars, right? Which is what you get paid in, in the traditional world. And so it's like, it's, it's like hard to, you know, see how traditional work competes with that, honestly. Like, and, and, and it won't because it, it won't need to, because like, you know, truthfully, like very few people are Daniel Vasallo, right? Like that's kind of a catch to like, I think highlight is like, it's not like everyone can apply to Gumroad and get the job. Like you have to be quite good, you know, maybe top 1% or so. Um, but over time, just like, you know, most people can't launch a rolling fund on Twitter and, and get it to $10 million a year. But I don't think that's a critique on me. Like, I think that's just saying, look, like, you know, I am novel and weird. And 
generally new technology gets used by like the novel weird people first, right? And then over time, like it gets normalized, it gets cheaper, it gets more intuitive, you know, and then over time, more and more people use it until, you know, in the, in the future, everyone has an iPhone, right? In the beginning, it was like only like the nerds and the, you know, the Apple fanboys. Like Apple, by the way, like people forget when the iPhone came out, it wasn't like everyone had a MacBook, right? It was like the very weird thing, it, you know, like it took a while for now, you know, you go to a conference, like everyone has a MacBook, but like, you know, that's like, that actually happened because of the iPhone, I think to a large degree, right? Like the iPhone almost became like a gateway drug, I think for many millions and tens of millions of people into like the Apple ecosystem, um, or maybe the iPod or something like that might've been it. Right. Um, that's probably actually more accurate, but like I had an iBook G4. I remember like no one, like I was the only one with an, with an Apple laptop. And it was obvious to me, even back then I was like, of course, like using the iBook G4 is like supreme design technology product than like any Windows, whatever, laptop, Lenovo, et cetera. And now obviously like was proven right. Everyone basically has, has you know, everyone who cares about, you know, these sorts of things has one of these, but it takes time. It takes a long, there's a kind of like the rate of adoption of technology, right? It just takes a long time for that S curve to kind of really get to that place. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of the portfolio career, I think is, is kind of still early in that kind of S curve where it's starting to get to that middle, like, you know, it's going to, you know, I think the next five years, it's going to be that tear. And generally I think it takes like 10 years for that kind of that, you know, going from 20 to 80, it takes that, you know, generally, um, you know, cars, I think saw a similar thing back in the day, electricity, like a lot of these, you know, the internet, I, you know, smartphones, like it took kind of 10 years, you know, to get, to kind of get that rate of adoption. And I, and I, you know, to, to the fact, you know, like when 2020 happened, uh, with COVID, like you could assume everyone had a smartphone, which was like a, an assumption you could not have made in 2010, right? And and I think people sometimes think that the technology is important. The technology is not important. The, what's important is the assumption that everyone has the technology, right? You can't switch the QR codes unless you assume that everybody has an internet connection all the time, has a smartphone, has, you know, a credit card. Like, you know, now you can assume those things, but like five years ago, even you couldn't, which is why you needed to accept cash for that percentage of the population or, or what have you. And so I think that's like, one, once you can assume that everyone has a portfolio career, which might take another 10 years, then, you know, the world is going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. Like for example, even taxes, right? Even like tax residency, like is a very weird unsolved problem now, right? Like we have people who work for Gumroad in 17 different countries, right? Like how does that work in terms of payroll taxes, in terms of health benefits, in terms of equity, like very, very strange. Like no one really knows. Um, obviously we're starting to see this play out. Even like the government doesn't know what to do with Elon. Like the richest person on planet earth, like makes no income. They can't tax any of it. Like it's a very unsolved problem, right? Like what do you do in this world? Um, no one really knows, <laughs> You know, you, you know, I had, I had an, an idea yesterday. I was like, what if, and I'm sure this is stupid, uh, but what if you just got rid of taxes, no more taxes. And if the government wants to do something, just print more money. That's the form of taxes in the future. Like get rid of all taxes and you just print more money. Anytime you want to do something um, like boom, like why have taxes? Like taxes just come as a form of 40%, you know, if it's 40% tax is the equivalent of 0% tax and then print 40% of, you know, monetary supply every year. Right. And which is what we did, by the way, in 20, you know, 2020 or so. And so I don't know. I'm sure that's a stupid idea for a bunch of reasons. Um, but I do think like the the you know, 10 years from now, like we're gonna live in a bunch of stupid ideas as considered in in today, right? Yeah. Fascinating. Uh and, and so then with with Daniel as an example, like 
he kind of sent you a cold email, uh, I think, or like he reached out to you. So I think like, you know, taking shots on goal and stuff. And I think also then in the book, you talked a lot about how, how powerful email was for getting sales and just kind of growing that. Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk about those two points in terms of like how to find a dream job or just like the importance of like email skills and things like that? Yeah, totally. I would say it's a numbers game and it's also not a numbers game, right? And so in the sense that it will take a bunch of tries, like you shouldn't put everything in one basket, right? Like you should make multiple bets. But I also think it's not a numbers game in the sense that like you shouldn't just say, oh, if I'd send out a thousand emails, like 10% of them are going to convert or something like that, right? Because you should be trying to get better, right? Um, you should be trying to improve. Like I, I recommend not copy pasting, like kind of type the same email over and over again, because you'll just get better at telling your story over time. And so I think sometimes people are like, oh, I've sent like a million of these emails, they don't work. And I'm like, well, you just like send the first email a million times then yeah. But like, if you iterated on it every time as you got feedback or you got, you know, like then you will improve, I think. Right. Um, and so, yeah, Daniel's email was very good. It, it was very clear. Like he, you, you know, he, he was able to say something that put him, you know, in a, in a very unique bucket, which was I use Gumroad already. You're in like 10%, right. Sort of category. I may, I've used Gumroad to make a couple hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Now you're in 1% already. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I would love to, you know, and then he had this, he, he put it all out there. This is another thing that I think people really struggle with is they're like, Hey, I think I would be really great. Uh, had a product to work at Gumroad. Let me know what you think. Here's my resume. Right. I have no idea. Right. Like maybe I click it. It's like, Oh, this person was like PM at Stripe or whatever. Like not that interesting to me. What's interesting to me is if you take risks, if you say, this is what I think you should do quarter time had a product. Like most companies would be like, that's crazy. Buy, Right. Like, but Daniel put that right in the email and it was like, cool, I'll, you know, would love to talk about that. And we had a call and he told me all his ideas for Gumroad without me, you know, just like, here's what I would do. And I was like, cool, sounds good. Like, let's start, you know, whenever you want. It was really that simple. But the truth is the vast majority of people won't do it. They won't do that. Like they'll say, they'll try to keep their, you know, their ideas and secrets like all to themselves, right? Then maybe they think they're going to get stolen or they don't have the confidence or whatever, but the truth is you have to do that because if you are right, then I can say, oh, you're already thinking about all the, all the right things the right way. You might not be perfect because you, you don't have the context of working inside the, you know, the context of like 10 years of working on government like I might have, but at least I know you're on the right path and I can help you in these ways, right? And so you have to put yourself out there. You have to provide proof of work. I always say proof of work, some evidence that you've actually spent effort, right? Saying, oh, I have all these ideas. That's great, but it's not real work, Right. You need some evidence that you've actually put some work into it because I don't, you know, I don't want to know like, oh, oh, this I'm, I'm one of 50 emails. Like I was one of 50 CEOs that got this email from you today, right? No, what I want to know is I was one of one, you know, you couldn't have sent this email to anybody else because it says that you've been $200,000 a year on Gumroad, right? Like, uh, and you don't have to make $200,000 a year on Gumroad, but you have to put something in the email that makes it clear that you're sending it to me. You type the email to me. You were, you know, you, you, you want to work on Gumroad in this specific way, not that you want a job and Gumroad is one of 50 places that you could work. Right. And that, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think for me, it's not going to work because I don't need to hire people. I don't need to like, I'm not trying to scale like crazy. I want to find people who are willing to take risks, willing to put themselves out there, willing to give me all their ideas for free because it, it implies trust, which I think is necessary for the way that we work. And, uh, 
yeah, that, and, and frankly, like kind of like that level of communication, right? Like Gumroad, we work in this way where like you have to do this. Like you have to write everything down. You have to be very clear with your ideas because, you know, feedback loops in this async environment is, are very expensive, right? Because someone's asleep when you send them in a message, they're only going to reply when they wake up. Like you have to, you know, imagine if you're trying to get something done and that, you know, it takes a lot of time. So you have to almost like presume, okay, what questions is Saha going to have? Can I answer them as part of the initial email instead of waiting, you know, for that response, right? And I get I get DMs all the time, like on Twitter that are like, hey, uh, I have a startup, it's growing really fast. I'd love for you to be an investor. Let me know if you want to talk. Like I basically ignore those, to be honest, where I have like a macro where I'm like, hey, could you send me an email with the deck, et cetera. But the best ones are like, hey, I work on this thing. It's called this. Here's the, you know, here's like the URL, check it out. You know, here's the deck. Here's like our numbers. Um, you know, here's a calendar link if you're interested. If not, no worries. Like put it all in the thing. Um, and I know why people don't do it because, you know, most people can't do that, honestly. Like, I think it takes like a level of like, you have to be really, really good to be able to do that and for it to work, to, to be honest. Like most people benefit from lack of ace, you know, it's like a car salesman. Most people wouldn't benefit from full transparency, right? And this is kind of a theme in the book too. Like, but if you can benefit from it, if you can benefit from information asymmetry, like I do when I talk about, you know, being transparent about VC, publishing my fund memo, like most people can't do that because their numbers aren't that good or like their background isn't that interesting. Like I, my answer to that is always like, well, then make it interesting, right? Like go invest the time and effort, build a bunch of weekend projects, like whatever it may be to become compelling, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't compelling because I was like good at Twitter. I was compelling to people because I like learned to code, learned to design, build iPhone apps that got me the job at Pinterest. You know, I built Pinterest for iPhone. Then I like I wrote this viral essay that I could have only done because I spent eight, nine years trying to build a company, almost failed. Like that's not easy, you know, um, it's not fast, but like there's no shortcut. Like that's what it took, you know? And so it would be dishonest for me to say, oh, here's like a playbook where you, you know, this isn't like, I never said the minimalist entrepreneurs, it's not a get rich quick book, right? Like those don't exist. It's a get rich slow book you can do it, but you know, it might take five years, it might take 10 years, it might take two years. Um, I don't know. Cause you know, randomness will play a big role in that, but I, I'm pretty sure that it'll, it will work if you stick with it for a long enough period of time. Um, and so it's the same thing with all these jobs, right? It's like, will you know, and, and so many people say, Oh, well, you know, I don't know. Like it's, isn't it for, you're making me spend all this time to like get the job. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you're going to spend a hundred hours sending a thousand emails, or you can spend a hundred hours sending one email, right. Or 10 hours spending you know, on 10 different emails. And my guess is that conversion rate and not only the conversion rate on those emails, but also like, again, going back to the brain factory thing, like you're going to train your factory. You're not training your, fa- your brain in factory if you're just like sending out a billion things and not really reacting to the feedback, right? Like, but if you spend 10 hours, you use Gumroad, you play with the product, you upload thing, you, you say, oh, these are five things I think I could improve. Boom, you're already in the top 10% of emails that I get because most people are not willing to do that. You know, they're not willing to spend the time um, which is totally fine. I'm not, you know, asking anyone to necessarily, but I'm just saying that's what it takes, you know, in this environment, um, that's kind of what it takes to stand out from the crowd. You need a hook. You need a hook. Like you pick up a book, like the first sentence is like 90% of the book, maybe not even the first sentence, maybe the cover, right? Like you need, what's your cover? What's your book cover in a sense, right? You need something incredibly compelling and it should fit in a sentence. And if it doesn't fit in a sentence, like you need like you know, all this stuff, you know, then you, you know, you're probably just not interesting enough to be honest. And you need to, you know, you need to just be kind of honest with yourself and get to that point where you are. Like, I wouldn't have been a venture, you know, part-time VC unless I had a very compelling story because it would have been brutal. It wouldn't have worked, you know? Um, But because it worked now, I can just like tweet and raise millions of dollars. But that's kind of like the last, you know, 
that's kind of like the compound interest thing, right? Like it, I can kind of do these things now because I like spent all, you know, and obviously there's like more levels to it, right? Like Elon can do crazier, crazier, crazier things, right? A thousand X, 10,000 X, what I can do. Um, but it took 20, 30 years for him to get to that point. Like, it's not something that happens overnight. Right. Um, and people need to, you know, it takes time. Like that's unavoidable. Even if you're perfect, even if you're like a God, literally, because it requires everybody else trusting you, building empathy with you. And that just takes time. Like there's just no shortcut to that. No one wants someone to become a billionaire overnight. People want the struggle that, you know, like even if it was possible, like people wouldn't let you do it. Right. I, that's anyway, what I believe. Love it. Well, so we could talk a lot more, or I would love to talk to you for a lot longer, but, um, uh, for people to learn more from you, they can check out your book, uh, the minimalist entrepreneur, follow you on Twitter. Is there anything else you'd want to share as a no, that's it. Yeah. The Minimalist Entrepreneur on Amazon, et cetera, all the places and Twitter at SHL. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sahil. Thank you, David. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.